Go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13, 2 Samuel 13. Uh, we are continuing our study through the uh, biography of David, and we find ourselves really, it's all downhill from here. And last week, we, we took our time with, with uh, one of the most difficult passages to, to just read, not interpret, we know exactly what's going on, but to really, to, 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 to allow the emotion and, and, and the, uh, the text to really speak to us. And this is, this is what comes out of that. So 2 Samuel 13, page 285 of your pew Bibles. With that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's word. We will read verses 23 to the end of the chapter, verse 39. The writer of 2 Samuel writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazar, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him and let, and, until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, I have commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came up to David. Absalom had struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said. So it has come about. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Let's go, Lord, and pray. And Father, we ask as always when we gather, you open our hearts and our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ. You would transform us inside and out, that you would receive the glory. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. I hope I don't ruin your childhood here today, but one of the things you need to know is that when it comes to Hollywood, um, they like to recycle not just stories, but in the visual effects themselves. Can I give you just two examples of how lazy Hollywood can be in some of their, their movies? Let's start with um, uh, well, Michael Bay didn't get up there. We're going to skip Michael Bay and Transformers, and let's just do, do to Disney. Okay? Disney is the world's worst at this. Um, what Disney does is they will take an old movie and they will copy and paste onto a new movie with different characters and just update the look of it. So here is, I believe, Robin Hood, which was my favorite Disney movie growing up. Don't judge me. 
Don't judge me. Uh, love, love Robin Hood. Now here is Jungle Book. These are all out of order. There's Jungle Book. Okay? You see the similarities? Robin Hood, Jungle Book. It's the same thing. Just recolor it and uh, no one will notice the difference until the internet came along. Uh, here is the sword and the stone and the 101 Dalmatians. The same look and everything you have there. Or consider this. Again, Robin Hood and uh, one of those princesses that, to be honest with you, I don't care anything about the princesses. So there it is, right? Is this the one that eats the apple? I don't care. Um, it's, uh, but you see, it's the same, same exact thing, right? Uh, what about, oh, here's, here's the, the, the dogs, right? 101 Dalmatians and J- Jungle Book was like the laziest movie they ever made. Right? <laughs> Just copy and paste, right? It worked before, it worked the same. Like the tail wags are the same. The movement of the dogs are exactly uh, the same. I don't know if, yeah, those are the last ones that, that I have up there for you. Now, the reason this is important is, is because if Hollywood has a habit of regurgitating uh, their contents, both visually and narratively, it... it, it it may come to surprise you that the Bible does the same thing. In fact, the story we have before us this morning is essentially the same story we saw last week. If you were to compare the, the assault upon Tamar and the assault upon Amnon, what you're going to find is the narrator wants us to see the same pattern is mirrored with both. So last week we saw that there were four parts of the assault against Tamar. Desire, deception, defilement, and destruction. And lo and behold, we find the same parallel story here. Let's start there with the desire introduced here in verse 23. You'll notice there it says, after two full years, Absalom went out with the sheep shears, right? Two full years. Now, one does not simply wake up and decide, today looks like a good day that I will violate someone. And we may recall last week, we we saw that 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 is not what Amnon did. Amnon didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to violate my half-sister. Rather, what happened to Amnon over unspecified time is what began with lust resulted in in, an assault. Remember how we articulated last week. It began with infatuation, moved quickly to imagination, and then objectification, and then finally manipulation and self-gratification. We don't know how long it took from Amnon to go from imagination to finally self-gratification. But that process would have taken time. When at night he was longing for her, when he would see her at the end of the hall, his heart would, would begin to pounce and he, his desires would build. And because he never addressed the heart issue, he made victims of his desires. We could say the same thing with Absalom here. One does not wake up and say, today looks like a good day to kill my half-brother. However, with the seed of hate, the seed of anger, left unchecked and not, and not gotten rid of, will result in malice, hate, violence, and even murder. Two full Years Again, we don't know how long Amnon lusted after Tamar, but we do know how long between her, 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 uh, 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 her abuse and Absalom's choice to murder his brother. If lust lies at the root of sexual sin, 
Anger often lies at the root of hate and violence. Isn't this what Jesus warned us about in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you have heard it said that, that uh, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Why? Because it is from anger comes violence and everything else. The apostles warned of the same corrosive nature of anger. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Right? And Brother Ed read earlier, Colossians 3.8, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. You see how each of these in Colossians and even in Ephesians, how they're related? You don't go from, well, I'm a little perturbed by that, to I want to key your car. Rather, it is a process much as the way that lust works. James 1, 19 to 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Francis Bacon rightly uh, noted that in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy, but in passing it over, he is superior. This is why Jesus rightly shows us that the only solution to your anger is forgiveness. Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you know, if you go to church on a Sunday morning and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Or let me add, you have something against your brother. Leave your gift. No one will take your pew on a Sunday morning. You've been assigned it. Go reconcile with your brother or sister. What if we practiced that one passage in American evangelicalism over the last 200 years? What if we just practiced that? Rather, we, 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 we let it boil within us until eventually there is an explosion. We'll explode in the house, explode in our marriage, explode at work, explode in the church. We'll explode anywhere and everywhere. Maybe we'll take it all out on the ball field and scream at kids and coaches and referees. Yeah, that'll show them. Two full years, the desire has been laid in his heart, and now is when he will act down on it. Desire then led to deception, you may recall. The same thing happens here. Verses 24 to 27, having agreed in his heart to murder his brothers, he plots his dastardly act. One can imagine for two years, right? David still hasn't done anything. The man is still walking around and no one is addressing the issue that Tamar is, is still suffering. Tamar is living with him. He comes home every day. He sees her tears. He sees her frustration. Why won't someone do anything? And if they're not going to do something, I will do something. And his plan begins with deception with David. Remember, Amnon did the same thing. Remember, Amnon brought David in and says, oh, daddy, I am so sick. Will you bring Tamar over here to take good care of me, right? What is, what is uh, Absalom do here? The same thing. He brings David in and manipulates him and says, you know, I just want to throw this big shindig, right? Sheep shears big time for this. And, and Revis is this big shindig and you're invited. And he knows David can't come, right? He's a little busy. And he says, well, dad, if, if you can't come, we're so disappointed you couldn't come. Can your crown prince come? 
After all, I'm going to invite all the other brothers, right? And it would just be an honor if the crown prince came. And David is shrewd enough to know this sounds odd, right? Because he is aware that Absalom hates Amnon because Amnon violated his half-sister, Absalom's full sister, right? It's a Jerry Springer episode in the royal the palace, right? And, and now, David is at heir because he never addressed that problem. It's amazing, isn't it? David will stare down a Philistine giant, but he will not address clear, open sin and criminality in his own home. He's a good leader. He is a poor father. But he, he gave in. He says, sure, uh, why don't you invite Amnon? He would be honored to come. And once again, David is fooled by one of his sons. And so we see that David is the man who could outfox Saul is outmaneuvered by his sons. Well, that is deception. We'll spend a little more time on defilements. With everything set up, Amnon arrives with a party unaware his life is at risk. And so in verse 28, Absalom orders his servants to wait until Amnon becomes drunk and unable to defend himself. Now, that is a very important detail. Remember what we said last week that chapter 13 mirrors other stories in the Bible, right? So uh, one of those stories is, of course, Adam and Eve. Jonadab is introduced earlier as a crafty-like serpent, right? We'll come to Jonadab here in a minute. And, and also, you remember uh, one of the other stories is the uh, assault on Dinah. You remember in that story, Shechem, the Gentile, violates Dinah, the only daughter of Jacob. You remember what, what Jacob's sons do, because Jacob doesn't address it, like David doesn't address it here. The boys, all 12 of them, they, they go, okay, Shechem, you want to marry our, our sister? Great idea. First, you must all be circumcised. Okay, right? I really like this girl, right? Even though I've sinned against her, I really like her. I want to make things right. So, so he orders the entire tribe, to be all the men to be circumcised. While the men are in recovery, Jacob's boys show up and slaughter all of them. Thus, this is the word of God, right? Now, remember the, the, the story. They wait until Shechem and everyone else is at a weak point in order to demonstrate violence. In chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, when David wants to manipulate Uriah, what does he do? He gets him drunk first. And assuming in his weak state, David can manipulate him. And when that doesn't work, he sends him off to battle to die. Now we have a story of, of a brother who waits until the man he hates is drunk with wine and too weak to defend himself. You see the similarities? It's as if you take the story of David and Bathsheba on the one hand, uh, Shechem and Dinah on the other, and you bring them together into a single narrative. We are, we are meant to see this is the pattern of humanity. When we do not address sin, when we do not address the anger in our hearts, this is what we do. In fact, you can see in Genesis 34, um, uh, when Jacob's brothers slaughtered Shechem and his tribe, raided right his sister Dinah, they waited until the Shechemites were weak from their circumcision. At that moment, Absalom's servants were to kill Amnon. In fact, notice the language that Amnon uses here. Do not fear. Be courageous, right? These are military terms used by Moses, Joshua, and even David. Let me give you an example of this. This is Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Absalom gives a military command with the protection of military rights, right? If this is a military act, then, then his servants aren't guilty of murder. Besides, he says, don't worry about it. I'm the one commanding you. No one will come after you. Again, this is much like David, isn't it? David gives a command for Uriah to be courageous in battle. And don't worry uh, uh, to, to Joab, the, the general. No one will come after you for this deed. So when the time came, servants grabbed their weapons and they murdered the crown prince of Israel. Did just pause, did too often we, we don't really think about the implications here. The crown prince of Israel has been slaughtered at his brother's house. And all the other brothers were there, heirs to the throne, if something were to happen to Amnon. Can you imagine what, this, what would happen in Israel? I mean, just, just imagine if, 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 if we were under royal decree, right? And thank goodness that, that we're not. Take that, you, you, you Brits, right? Right? You know, go America. But imagine, if you will, if the crown prince is suddenly murdered by his family members. You talk about chaos. And that's exactly what it is you have here. Well, again, we see parallels here. Absalom does what David does. David never thrust a sword in Uriah's side. He let other people do that. Absalom never thrust a sword in Amnon's side. He had other people do that. Yet in the text, Absalom, not to mention David before him, are said to be the guilty party. Look at verse 29 again, if, if, if you will. So the servant of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded him, that all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule. Notice there that Absalom is mentioned twice. Absalom's servants did what Absalom told the servants to do. So that you know it is Absalom who is guilty. He is the murderer. Now you may be wondering here, where. Where's the defilement, right? It, it makes sense when we read the story of Tamar, right? We, we naturally understand that when it comes to assault like that, defilement makes sense. And maybe, maybe you're a victim of such an act or you have a loved one who's been a victim of something like that. And, and defilement makes sense. They're, you know, people who are victims of, of such an act, they, they feel dirty. They, they feel used. They, they become uh, more leery of men and, and, and all future relationships are harmed in damaged by that act. There's a sense of, of dirtiness, right? We, we, we get this. But what about this, right? What we need to see, it isn't just that sexual sin defiles, but so does hate, anger, and murder defile. Perhaps the best example in the Bible is to go all the way back near the beginning when Cain kills Abel. Remember that story, we'll come back to it. Remember what God says to Abel, right? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood it cries out to me from the ground. That is the language of defilement. You have defiled the earth with your brother's blood. And so just as David defiled Israel and the household of Uriah, so too Absalom has defiled Israel and the household of David. Throughout the Old Testament, many things def will defile you, right? Chief among them is death. This is why you are not to touch a cadaver, nor if you execute a man, you cannot leave his body hanging on a tree overnight. Remember, this story comes up with the execution of Jesus. 
They have to take them down on, because the Sabbath is coming, right? And you can't have bodies hanging overnight. Why? Because then that defiles the, the nation, right? So, so, so death brings with it defilements. So too, revenge defiles the lands. We can look at the prophets for this. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. By the way, you, you should pause that. You can find that in your Bible, highlight it, memorize it, and apply it a thousand times every day, right? The Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. His ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. That sounds important to me, Right? Go on to verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. This is basic gospel, isn't it? For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. You see the language there? Absalom's act is an act of defilement. If you don't believe me, notice the tears of mourning streaming down his brother's faces and his father's face. He has brought shame and defilement upon the household of David. History is replete with vigilantes who think that if they eliminate someone, the nation will be saved, the family will be better off, and justice will be served. There is perhaps no better example in American history than the infamous John Wilkes Booth. When he assassinated the president, the plan was that the vice president, I believe the secretary of state, some others were to be assassinated as well. And the attempts were, were made uh, there. I know Henry Stewart was nearly died and should have, should have died. Nevertheless, when Wilkes Booth pulled that trigger, he jumped off the balcony breaking his leg. And so he had to have help to, to escape. And he gets on a horse, he escapes, and he's out hiding, I believe, in the Maryland, Virginia area. And, and he asked for people not to bring them food, though they did, but really to bring him newspapers. Because he wants to see the headlines. John Wilkes Booth saves the nation. And the Confederacy will rise again. And, and they'll fight back against the, 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 the tyrannical dictator of Lincoln. Right? That was what he hoped to see. What he found was not that the Confederacy had arisen. What he found was a republic had been defiled. There is reason why no one to this day names their child John Wilkes. And his wife, for the rest of their lives, his family were stained with the single act of John Wilkes Booth. This has defiled the household of David. Both the, the assault upon Tamar and the assault upon Amnon. This lead, leads then to destruction. Verses 30 to 39. Word gets to David that all his sons were murdered. And you thought fake news, if you're on the right, disinformation, if you're on the left, was new, right? You're right? Did I get everybody? Did I leave anyone out, right? No one's offended? Okay, good, good, right? This is fake news, right? Hey, David gets it from CNN Plus, no doubt. Hey, all of them are dead, right? And no wonder, he's in a panic here. This is disinformation. Now, Reasonably, David responds by mourning the loss of his sons there in verse 31. The greatest asset to a king is his sons, right? This is why Henry VIII married so many women trying to have uh, a son, right? Eventually had one. That didn't work out too well, uh, so on and so forth. And here again, notice, actually, actually look at verse 31. I think it'd be good for us to see this. The king arose, tore his garments, and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. Now, where did we read about someone tearing a garment? It was of a young lady 
who was just assaulted by her half-brother. That's the story before, right? And you remember the word used to describe Tamar's long sleeve robe, garment, is the same word only used in Genesis to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. Both were victims of sexual assaults. So we have Tamar all alone ripping her robe in shame. Here's David in mourning, surrounded by his servants, ripping the robes. Can I tell you something that really stuck out to me that bothered me here? David responds correctly in this way, uh, ripping your robe, putting ashes on your head. That was a common way, an appropriate way to express mourning. Why didn't David respond the same way when his daughter was assaulted by his son? Why was she all alone in her sorrow? Doesn't that bother you? It should. He's a great leader who can slay giants and lead men in the battle. Far too often, he fails as a father. Men, if you must choose between the two, don't fail as a father just to achieve out in the secular world. Well, it goes on. Jonadab enters the scene. Remember him? Verse 32 and 38. Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, that, that will be on your quiz at the end. David's brother said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Anna alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, where did he get that information from? That's, a, that's a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Everyone else, some who were there said, No, you don't, you don't get it, man. And they're all gone. I saw it on the internet. It was on Facebook. It has to be true. And Jonadab says, no, no, David, don't worry about it. Absalom was never going to kill the other brothers. How does he know this? Interesting, isn't it? Jonadab is the one who puts the thought in Amnon's mind to assault his sister. And he is there when it's in Absalom's mind to kill Amnon. What a crafty little servant he is, isn't he? Well... As a result of the murder, verses 34 to 38, Absalom flees, whereas the rest of David's household returns to Jerusalem, where together they will mourn Amnon's death. And you have to ask yourself, where's the justice in all this? Revenge is not to be confused with righteous vengeance. Vigilantism is not justice. Hate is not proper punishment. If only I can look at a nation that needs to hear that right now. Hate is not justice. Mob violence is not vengeance. Revenge is not just. This is why we as Americans in our criminal system, we separate justice from those seeking it. So it's the job of the state, right? So we have the people versus, you know, O.J. Simpson, something like that. Um, because mob violence and vengeance seeking is never good. All you have here are victims. All you have is defilement. All you have is just evil upon evil. You have a mess here. Absalom has fled and now everyone else is in mourning. So just as Amnon destroyed Taman's life and ruined both their lives, now Absalom is isolated from the rest of his family. He is in exile. Can you think of another parallel here? Can you think of a story in the Bible where one brother kills another and he is then exiled to a city? It's Cain. 
we are to see Absalom as yet another king. Remember what we have said, that humans are really good at advancing externally. The society that David has led is more advanced than the society that Cain created in the city of Enoch. But internally, we haven't changed one bit. We are more advanced in a thousand ways than the age of David and his royal palace. But boy, internally, we haven't changed one bit. We have not changed since we ate of the fruit in the garden we're exiled. It's the same story. Absalom has escaped to Geshur, where his maternal grandfather reigns as kings. And he will spend the next few years plotting his next moves. Spoiler alert, he decides that the only solution is to remove his own father from the throne. What follows, and it will take us a few weeks, is civil war between David and his son. It's amazing, isn't it? Amnon thought that if he just had that one night with Tamar, he'd be happy. And he turned into a person of hate. Absalom thought if only he got his revenge, everything will go back to normal. All of a sudden, he is his father's enemy. When will we learn that sin never solves anything? What a mess we have here. Often in marriage and family counseling, I am asked how to resolve a tangled yarn of years of pain and unrepentant sin. There is rarely an easy solution because the root causes have been unaddressed for so long. Unrepentant sin makes a mess of everything. And if you think the ripple effects of sin stop here, guess again. Sin is never private. Sin is never isolated. So if you're here today and it is peace that you are wanting... I beg of you to repent. If it's love that you desire, I beg of you to forgive. If it's mercy you want, cry out to the God of the cross who gives it in abundance. Remember what we said last week about tomorrow? There is hope for both parties, the guilty and the violated. And and since we see the same pattern here, it's essentially the same story. The same hope there remains the same hope here. We won't go into all the details. Remember what we said about those goats? A propitiatory goat that satisfies uh, and conquers sin. An expiatory goat that cleanses us from sin. So too the same is to be found here. Just as Christ's robe was, was, was torn apart like Tamar's, and he was violated like Tamar, and he takes upon himself all the sin and shame of, and guilt of sin, so too the same applies here. Christ at the cross conquer sin. He can conquer your hate. He can conquer your anger. He can conquer all of that stuff so that no one else needs to be hurt anymore. After all, hasn't enough blood been shed upon the cross? We don't need any more defilement of the earth. But also, Christ upon the cross and the resurrection cleanses us of all sins. Maybe you're here and you're looking upon your past. You realize you've ruined a lot of lives because of your temper. Because of your anger, because you refuse to repent. The good news is there is cleansing for you and your victims. If only we will come to the Christ of the cross, who instead of lashing out in anger, takes it all upon himself. He suffers and conquers it all so that we no longer have to live in this sort of world. Wouldn't it be nice if we left the absolutes of the past in the past? Wouldn't it be nice if we could leave the amnons of the past in the past? We can. 
Both are sons of David. But we look for a true and better son of David who conquers and cleanses all of it. And he welcomes us into a kingdom of God that is far better than any kingdom of man. If we come to repent, if we come to seek repentance, if we come and show forgiveness, if we come. Let's pray.